You are listening to the Business Growth Toolkit, a series from The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards in collaboration with Innovate UK Edge. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, and this is Business Growth Toolkit, a series from The Standard Show, developed in collaboration with Innovate UK Edge. Innovate UK is the UK's innovation agency, and Innovate UK Edge is a key part of the agency's deep investment to help innovating businesses grow and scale, supporting them with tailored advice on becoming investment ready, internationalizing, and managing how they innovate. In this series, we're looking at the relationship between standards and some key business issues, with particular relevance for SMEs. This episode of the series is on supply chain management, and our guide is Frank Lee. With more than 30 years experience of management systems in areas such as quality, health and safety, risk, resilience, and sustainability, Frank is Chief Executive of the Institute for Collaborative Working. Whilst working at BSI, Frank was instrumental in the introduction of a number of national and international standards in areas such as health and safety and risk management. He's now a standards maker too, involved in the development of a number of different standards, such as ISO 44001 for collaborative business relationships. Before we hear my conversation with Frank, a reminder that you can subscribe to The Standard Show wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find and follow us on social media too. All of the details are in the show notes. Hey Frank, welcome to The Standard Show and our Business Growth Toolkit series. Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Now, Frank, I want to start with terminology. So supply chain, supply chain management, supply chain resilience, you know, what is meant by these terms? Actually, supply chain is just the trail that any materials or intermediates that you might have to deliver your product or service has to take before it gets to you. And then what your products or services have to do to get to the end consumer. It's as simple as that. And I suppose, Frank, you remember when the Suez Canal was blocked in 2021? That was a useful reminder, wasn't it, just how global supply chains are? Uh, yeah, well, supply chains these days are absolutely global. I mean, gone are the days where you could get everything you wanted around the corner from where you live. And so it's the intricacy of those supply chains, the complexity of them, that really go all around the world. So even though you may think that you're in control of what you do here in the UK, you may actually be reliant on someone on the other side of the world. And what is becoming increasingly evident in recent years is the role that logistics play in a supply chain. There's a logistics link between every link within every supply chain. The more complex the supply chain, the more logistic links there are. And you mentioned the um, the Suez Canal incident, uh, when lots of ships were delayed there. We had shortages of raw materials coming into the UK. Uh, uh, ships have to take longer routes around to get here. Um, but you could have something really simple as well. You could have disruption in a particular country due to floods and products can't move around, they can't get to the ports, they can't meet the ships, they can't get here. So it's really important to understand all the complexities in your supply chain. And what role can standards play generally for supply chain management? You know, why do they matter? Well, I think they matter because they provide you an awful lot of good practical knowledge, good reference material, 
And also there are, of course, some standards and not all. And one of the problems sometimes with standards is that people immediately think of certification when they think of standards. But that is not always the case. But certainly you can de-risk elements in your supply chain by ensuring that your supply chain partners have certified to particular standards that would should help you um, have a greater level of confidence in their ability to provide what they say they'll provide when they say they'll provide it. But the standards themselves can help you to look at the supply chain, to evaluate the risks in your supply chain, to make sure it's a more resilient supply chain. Um, and they can do that all by giving you options on what you might do to reduce those risks or to get greater certainty in your supply chain. And they do that through a lot of good practice that's in there, setting clear requirements in some of the standards so that you yourself can implement in your organization and encourage your supply chain partners to implement those good practices that should make your supply chain more resilient. And in terms of particular standards then, Frank, what are the most relevant standards here? And I'm, I'm particularly keen to understand, you know, the benefits to organisations and particularly to SMEs of using them. Well, I think there's a there's, there's a whole range of standards and there's many that are, that, that are available to all types of organisations. I think I'd probably start with BS65000, that's Operational Resilience and Supply Chain. It's a relatively new standard in many ways, but actually it really is a useful standard to help you understand the supply chains that you're in and, and your own organization and the resilience uh, in there. Then there's there's lots of other standards. Uh, there's supply chain security. ISO 28000 is a very interesting standard. Um, one of the ways that and one of the standards that are very close to my home is, is ISO 44001 for collaborative business relationships, where you really take your critical supply chain partners and, and build uh, partnerships with them that provide you with great uh, greater levels of assurance. But then there's some of the very traditional standards that have been about for a long, long time, and I've, I've stood the test of time, the most notable being ISO 9001, full of great requirements, has been used by many, many organizations around the world for many, many years and provides probably that base and that bedrock on which to build all other systems that you want to put in place or you want your supply chain partners to put in place to provide greater levels of security. And then thinking forward and where we are in the modern world, I think 14,001, ISO 14,001 for environmental management is key because with that standard in place, certainly in the world we live in today, where the, the desire to, to get to net zero uh, is so important, then 14,001 will provide the basis for you to get there. But there are lots of other standards as well that are great tools along the way. You mentioned there uh, 65,000 frag. Just tell me a bit more about that standard and, and what the benefits to an organisation of using that. So, so 65,000, um, it focuses on organisational resilience, the resilience within your organisation. So it enables organizations and management of organizations to review the resilience that they have in there. And one of the key things that it does is it puts supply chain resilience at the core of organizational resilience alongside information resilience and operational resilience. And that's really key because supply chain resilience is a part of overall organizational resilience, but it's a critical part. And that standard really puts it at the heart of it. And it's focused on three key areas, which are product, process, and people. Uh, and it looks at how you can be an agile organization work, working out there and making sure that, that you are in the best possible position to withstand things that might go wrong. 
it's actually a code of practice so it really provides lots of guidance so it's not a standard that anyone will be encouraging you in my view anyway to certify to it's, there's no certification schemes for this standard at least none that i'm aware of but what it does is it provides lots of lots of guidance so clarifying the nature and the scope of the resilience to top management in an organization which is really important so it crystallizes what it means for them identifying or helping you identify the principal components of resilience so that the organization can review its measures and its systems that are in place and then look at the areas where it's weaker and where it wants to strengthen um so I just think it's a really good point of reference. It's full of really good, useful information and a good ready reference um, standard that you have on the, the shelf behind you. And when you want to look at something, when you want information, you pull it down as a reference one. Just on that, Frank, well, why would I come back to some, some other standards you mentioned? But that issue about guidance there, what does what does that mean? Are you? It's not telling organisation precisely what to do. Just, just explain how guidance works within a standard. Yeah, okay. And maybe it's probably best to contextualise it around the different sorts of standards you might find. To, to, to my mind, I, I simplify them into two clear areas. There are requirements documents, and ISO 9001 and ISO 14001 are good examples of this. 44001 is another one. And these really are designed for certification, or certainly when they were written, they had certification in mind, and they're full of shalls. You shall do this, you shall do that. So they set clear requirements for organizations to achieve. Guidance standards, codes of practice, and those type of documents really provide an educational route. So they have lots of good ideas, lots of guidance. Sometimes they give you guidance on how to implement a system. Sometimes they give you just good practice on what you should be doing. All of them are written by experts in the field, by consensus, and they provide lots and lots of useful and interesting material that you can apply in a day-to-day -day environment in your business. And they're good reference documents to have on the shelf. No one expects you to certify to them. No one's going to come in and say, you didn't do that or you didn't do that, what's wrong? But they, but they, they give you that food for thought when you're examining, in this case, your supply chain, but other parts of your business as well, is what's good here? What, are other pe what do other people think is the right thing to do? And if we're not doing it, why aren't we doing it if it's good practice? Now, you mentioned uh, 9,001, 44,001 and 14,001 as sort of uh, examples here of relevant standards. Let's, let's take those in turn then. So many organisations will be aware of ISO 9001, but give, give us a brief overview of why, why 9001 is important in terms of supply chain management. So 9001, I think, is the, is the core standard that any organisation should be achieving. It actually doesn't contain any requirements, in my view anyway, that a good organization should not be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So if someone says, oh, it's too complicated for us, it's too difficult for us, actually, I don't believe that that's the case. I've seen and assessed in my auditing days, ISO 9001 being applied, everything from a one-man consultancy organization to the largest petrochemical complexes in the world. And what it does is it sets basic requirements. So it's basic requirements for the responsibility of top management, for example, and leadership in an organization. It sets clear requirements for how you interface with your customers. It sets clear requirements to make sure that before you accept a contract, you know you can deliver on that contract. It sets clear requirements to make sure that you know, and in your organization, you can consistently produce the product or service of the desired quality time after time after time and it requires and it has processes to making sure that you continually improve 
by looking for objectives to get better at what you do to meet your customer requirements in a, in a better way. Um, and, and all in all, it's a bedrock standard for me. And it's built on what something we call the high level structure uh, and all modern requirements documents in terms of standards 14,001 all the others all follow the high level structure and that means when you build a system um, uh, to address the requirements of the standard whichever standard it is whether it's 9, 14, 45 for health and safety, 44 for collaborative business relationships, 27,000 for information security the basic structures are the same they start with leadership and they move on uh, through the standard and what that means is that following that that process that methodology you can build integrated systems so you're not duplicating things so so this is the right way we do it from a quality a safety and environmental perspective as opposed to having lots of different systems and 9001 really is that bedrock it touches all elements of an organization um, and it's based really on on i believe on four clear premises which are systems processes competence and culture and if you get those things right, you're pretty well on the route to having a, uh, a good system in place, a good structure in place, and being a good organization that people can trust and rely on. And you mentioned, Frank, earlier on, one, another one of those management system standards, 44,001. Tell us, tell us about that and about why it's, why it's important here. Okay, well, 44,001 clearly is a standard close to my heart. It's one I've been working on for a good number of years. And it's about collaborative business relationships. So when you look at your organizational resilience, you may determine that uh, when looking at your supply chain, there are certain parts of that supply chain that are absolutely critical to you, that you could not survive without them. And to do to, to de-risk that particular element of your supply chain, uh, you may feel that partnering, being a, having a much closer relationship with them is a key thing. Well, this is not a, a legal partnership in any way, but it is forging a relationship with that partner so that you can work in a structured collaborative way to deliver your outputs and get greater value from it and that's that and this standard is all about creating new value and, and de-risking uh, your supply chain risk areas i'd only really recommend it to be used with critical suppliers uh, where you really have a need because it does require you uh, to do certain things that you maybe not don't want to do in every situation so you will share knowledge and information with them now that does bring risk with it and, and, and collaborating alters the risk profile of an organization. But what it does do is it means you work much closer together. You build through those things such as uh, systems, processes, competence and culture, you start to build trust. And when you have that trust in the organization that you're working with and they have trust in you because it's mutual, then you can work much closer together to ensure that the problems that you might have in your supply chain are identified, looked at, and you can work with, on them together at a much earlier stage. It also means that along the way, you may decide to do things that are weren't planned at the beginning. So in a construction project, and, and one I can remember, you may decide even though it wasn't in the original contract proposal, to do things at an earlier stage because you trust one another and that provides extra value and might mean that you provide the, the project or the asset at a, a much earlier date i've seen examples of that and frank just to finish off on the on the sort of this the core standards you're talking about here relevance for supply chain fourteen thousand and one as well that's that's been around for a long time too 
It has, yeah. It was one of the very first standards I worked on back in the mid-90s. Um, uh, 14,001 follows the high-level structure, as 9,001 does, so it easily fits into a 9,001 system. So if you've got 9,001 in your organization, 14,001 will dovetail very nicely in there. 14,001 is all about making sure you understand the environmental impacts that you have and those aspects. And essentially, that's a form of risk review. What do you do and what are the environmental aspects that result from those and what impacts do those aspects have? If you want to get to net zero, it is absolutely the first standard that you should implement because it will give you that foundation, that bedrock, those systems, those processes. Uh, you'll start to ensure you'll build your competence in environmental issues and you'll start to develop a culture that is far more focused on environmental issues than maybe they, they were traditionally. And you can then, as you understand uh, your environmental impacts, uh, you can then start to evaluate where you can look to save things and as a result, start to address the carbon, uh, the, uh, make progress towards net zero. So Frank, you've talked you talked through some of those those core standards there. I just wonder any others here that you want to give honourable mentions to in terms of how they might support supply chain management. Okay, so I think one I would mention is ISO uh, BS ISO thirty one thousand, and that's the risk management guidelines. All the standards I've talked about really are based on a risk approach. So it's understanding talks about environmental issue, understanding what your aspects are and the impacts of those, and 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 that is a uh, a form of risk assessment. Understanding uh, the risk within your supply chain is a risk assessment. And and the one thing I would say about risk assessment within a supply chain um, is, is let's move away from where we were in the 1990s when I first got involved in this, where you did a risk assessment from a health and safety perspective and you put it in the jar and you still thought it was current six years later. Risk assessment has to be a dynamic process in an organization. Things change, circumstances change, technology improves. And there's a big thing called circumstances. They change as well all the time. Uh, the only thing I can tell you with certainty about what's going to happen in the rest of this year is that there'll be uncertainty in it. ISO 31000 uh, is, is a guidance standard all about risk management. And what it helps you do is it provides lots of guidance so that if you're starting out on this process, it helps you to conduct good and effective risk assessments. Um, you can go on training courses, of course, to help you do this. And in many ways, you would say that risk assessment is something we are innately, uh, you know, naturally good at as humans. Every time you cross the street, you perform a risk assessment. Um, but for 31,000 really gives you the science behind that. And, and I think it's an absolutely brilliant standard. It's, it, there's a, it, it's a process approach. It's applicable to all organizations, of all sizes and all sectors. There's a nice, work in, a nice framework in there on which to work on. Uh, and I think it will encourage you to look at risks that are pertinent to all of your stakeholders as well. So a really good reference standard. So, Frank, I'm interested about, about about journeys here. We love talking about journeys on the Standard Show. I just wonder what, what in your view, is, is the first thing, particularly an SME should do when thinking about implementing supply chain management uh, standards? What, what, what's the first thing an SME, an SME should do? That's a really good question, actually, because the answer to what an SME should do and, and what maybe a very large organization should do, in my view, are different. So if I was an SME, the first thing I would do is I would look to understand the role and my place in the supply chain of my key 
customers. I think that's really important. And then I would look to see if there is anything I can do looking back through my supply chain. But I have to accept that there's probably a limited amount I can do to influence things downstream from me um, in my supply chain if I'm an SME. Um, sometimes, you know, you just have to accept you at the will of the world. So what can you do as an SME to make you yourself a more resilient organization? Which is why I talked earlier on about organizational resilience and the organizational resilience standard. And I think you can, A, you can provide assurance to potential customers. And the first standard I've talked about is ISO 9000. It's the absolute bedrock standard. If you have that, you are telling the world something about you as an organization. And so using that, going through that standard and checking, do I do this? Do I do it regularly? Do I do this? Do I do it regularly? Is really good practice. Because if the answer is, no, I don't do it, then you should ask yourself the question, why? Is there a good reason? Because this is good practice. But it's been adopted by a massive number of organizations around the world. All of them are doing it. Why am I not? So I will say that to me, that's the first thing I should do. Understand my role in the supply chain. Look to see what influences I can have and what influences I can have that maybe mitigate things for me. You know, so have I got multiple sources that I can source from if there's a problem? Um, uh, and then how can I make myself more attractive as a supply chain partner to those, if you like, um, upstream of me? So obviously, Frank, that's that's a really important first step. I'm just thinking that obviously, what are what are the subsequent steps? You know, what what might be two, three, and four for for an SME when they're thinking about implementing supply chain management standards? Okay, so so I think that if, once you've done the, those basic things of understanding your place in that supply chain, and you've looked at the main the first standard, which is ISO 9001, which is one business decision. I think then you have another business decision, which is do I wish to certify to 9001, and and of course the benefits in doing so. Um, in relation to the benefits that you'll get. The benefits for you to do that, in my view, are that you will end up with a, a system and a structure that has more rigor within it, uh, but also you will be pro providing confidence to your customers in your ability to, uh, to deliver consistently to them at the right quality at the right time in the right place. So I think that's a, that's a good start. After that, again, you need to look at what the... Uh, what the needs are and what of all the stakeholders that you have. Um, uh, and I think this depends very much where you are in the supply chain and who your customers are. But certainly looking at the other standards we've talked about are really important. And these days as well, maybe one other standard I should mention and one that I would suggest all organizations take a look at is ISO 27001 for information security. Um, you might find that uh, your customers and actually your suppliers are very, very keen that you have good systems in place to provide levels of information security, confidence to them. Uh, and you yourselves may have be in possession of important IP that you want to keep for your organization because it's critical to you. So I think after I'd satisfied myself that I had good systems in place, I could provide good confidence uh, to my stakeholders, I could deliver products consistently to my customers, that I knew where I sat in the supply chain and I had taken whatever mitigation I could about issues into my supply chain, I would look very closely at information security as well. Now, Frank, you are a standards maker too. So what, what's been your standards journey? You know, How and when did it start for you and where are you now? 
Right, okay. Um, well, hopefully I'm not at the end. Um, where did it start? Well, I first started using standards in, in the in 1990 was my first introduction. It was BS5750. Now it's ISO 9001. Um, and and I, I got knowledge of, of uh, after that, of, of other standards, such as ISO 14001 and what was uh, OHSAS 18001, which is probably the first one I had any real inputs into. Uh, with that became ISO 45001 for health and safety. Um, I never saw myself as a standards maker. Uh, to begin with. In fact, I'll tell you, for a good few years, I avoided it. Um, I thought it's not for me. It, it's dull and boring. It's full of um, people sat around in committee rooms talking about really dull things for hours after hours, and I really did not appeal to me at all. Plus, I didn't think uh, that I was academically uh, well qualified so was I going to contribute anything to it you know would I be in the room with a lot of people that I was out of my depth in and the other thing about standards I thought my English is not particularly good as you may have noticed during the conversation here uh, and then and then will that be a disadvantage would they not want me eventually I was persuaded to get involved and 44,001 was was probably the first one that I sat in the committee room and what I realized was that I wasn't out of place that the people in there wanted knowledge from all angles and all types of people. Uh, it was a very inclusive environment. Um, it didn't matter that my English was not as good as it should be because we had an expert in the room who tidied up all of those things. And all as you had to do was bring into that room an open mind and a willingness to share your knowledge and your views in a respectful way. Uh, and it's been a fulfilling and really enjoyable journey for me. And after that, I've been involved in other standards, on, one on government procurement. I got involved in the, the COVID guideline standard. Uh, I've sat on the ISO 9001 and on the um, uh, 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 ISO 45001 committees in the past. I don't sit on all of them today. I think it's good to let other people have a go as well. Um, but I found it a really fulfilling journey. And it's a journey that probably... I didn't expect, um, and I recommend it to anyone. The more that you get involved, the better the standards are. I was going to say that to you, Frank. Actually, you said you've been a, a relatively reluctant to start your journey, sort of tentative, but it sounds like you've now become absolutely sort of steeped in standards. You know, what, what would you say, you said there about you'd recommend it, what would you say to someone who, particularly an SME maybe, is considering doing the same and getting involved in standards? What would you say? Well, I think the first thing I'll say is absolutely do it. Um, there's a number of benefits you will get. I mean, there's an obvious one, which is you will be able to influence the direction of that standard. And that's a good thing to do. Sec certainly better than having no influence whatsoever. You know, so if you are knowledgeable uh, then and, and you're an expert in that area, you'll end up with a standard that is useful to you and to others, as opposed to one that maybe you feel isn't. Um you know, if you go through life and you look at every interaction you have with someone uh, as a learning opportunity, then a standards committee room is a great place to gain more knowledge. It's a personally fulfilling. You're contributing something. You're giving something back to the sector that you work in, but you're also learning at the same time. Um, and to me, that's probably the number one thing, the, the opportunities it's given me to learn as well as to give back. And I think that's just something I've really enjoyed over the years.
Well, Frank, thank you for joining me and sharing your insights and experiences on standards and supply chain management. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. For more information about the issues and standards raised in this episode and for details of other episodes in the series, then check out the links in the show notes. You have been listening to the Business Growth Toolkit, a series from The Standard Show. Subscribe to The Standard Show now, wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.